Now, um, we've been thinking in these weeks about how these chapters of Genesis confront the pagan ideas that govern our society. And uh, last week we were thinking about um, how the Bible's teaching about the right place for sex uh, confronts the, the thinking of our modern age. Um, there is a book which uh, some of you might find helpful to read if you haven't already seen this. It's called That Hideous Strength, A Deeper Look at How the West Was Lost. It's written by Melvin Tinker, who was, until he died, the pastor at uh, the church uh, that Sophie, whom some of us will know, uh, attends in Hull. And what, this, what he argues here is that the whole agenda to push uh, sex and, and, and in all its different variants is really a sort of, the root behind it is a sort of a reinvented Marxism that um, classical Marxism uh, where Mark, Karl Marx talked about how the the, 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 the middle classes, the bourgeoisie should be uh, expropriated of their wealth and that should go to the, to the masses uh, uh, and there should be revolution. That clearly failed. Um, but it's reinvented itself. It, 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 with sort of sexual politics. And some of the ideas of Marx have come into uh, some of the, the, what the, the thinking that the, the, the people have been driving things in our society. So you might find that a useful book to read. How, that hideous strength, how the deep, a, look, a deep look at how the West was lost. And there are some other books uh, around as well which also speak about that. Well, today we're going to be thinking about the fall and its uh, effects. And, of course, this is fundamental to understanding uh, man. It's fundamental to understanding what's been going on in our society in recent weeks, in recent years. Uh, so we're in Genesis chapter 3, uh, page 3 of the Bible. We'll read the whole chapter, and then I will seek to draw out some lessons uh, from it. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. 
And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the voice of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to eternal life. Well, keep your Bible open, and let's pray and ask God for help now. Oh Lord God, we do thank you for this opportunity for us to consider your word. Lord, we ask that according to your grace and mercy, you will enable your word to be taught this morning 
We, Lord, I pray that your sheep may be fed. And Lord, also that any who are not at the present time sheep might be made into your sheep through your word working in them. We pray, Lord, that you will draw people to yourself. And Lord, we pray that you will move among us by your spirit and cause us to know you and love you as we should. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One thing I, like, I love about the Bible is that it's so true to experience. It ties in so well with what we observe with our own eyes. When we look out at this world or we look at our own bodies, we see two things, don't we? We see beauty, we see order, we see design, loveliness, Amazing intelligence has obviously been at work. Amazing skill. So there's a, there's a beautiful world out there and, and our own bodies also reflect that beauty and that design. But we also see something else as well, don't we? We see in our wider world, we see earthquakes, we see floods, we see diseases, we see death, we see things breaking. And in our own bodies as well, we find that we grow old, we get weak, we, we, bits and pieces don't function as they ought to function, we have to go to see the doctor, and things are not quite right. And within society as well, we see on the one hand, we see amazing ability for people to uh, use resources, to create computers and program these computers and manufacture things. But at the same time, we see very intelligent people unable to get on with each other. We see violence, we see crime, we see hatred. What is this strange mix? What is, what is the explanation? Well, the Bible gives us the explanation, doesn't it? This chapter we, that we've got before us gives us the explanation. That this is a good world that God has made, but it's a fallen world. It's a bit like if you go to the, the, a, a Roman ruin you see all sorts of signs of engineering and skill fantastic things there but it's in ruins it's not working properly and so it is with this world and so this passage is a really important passage for us to understand our world it's really important for us to be able to understand also why we need Christ. 
without Genesis chapter 3, we would really struggle to understand why did God send Jesus into the world? We would struggle also to understand why it is that even having been saved, we still have a problem with sin. We are still tempted by sin and, some, and, 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 and none of us is going to be perfectly free from sin in this life. It helps us also to understand why we do get ill and why we will die and why our loved ones die. It can be perplexing, can't it, when, when a loved one gets ill and dies, especially if that loved one dies before his or her time. You think, what's going on here? Well, this passage helps us to understand that we're living in a fallen world and we still have the effects of the fall around us. This passage also helps us to understand those of us who've got children, our children. What, you know, do you ever wonder, well, how did my child learn to swear? <laughs> I never taught my child to swear. How did my child learn to disobey me and to be rude? And to fight. Where did this come from? Why, why from the age of two or three was, was my, at toddler group, was my, my little baby, this sweet little baby boy, fighting other children for toys? What's going on? Well, this passage ex explains that, doesn't it? You can't understand child psychology without Genesis chapter 3. You can't understand adult psychology without Genesis chapter 3. So, I hope that we will all pay attention very much uh, and that we will uh, all seek to learn the lessons that we should learn from this passage. Well, the first thing I want to say, there's a number of things I want to say. The first thing I want to say is this. What we have here is history. This is not just a myth. You know what people call, people sometimes say Bible stories, Oh, well, it's a myth. And what they mean by that is it's got no historical basis, but it's got things to teach us spiritually. And, and there are those who call, themselves, who call themselves liberal Christians, who don't believe in the, in the inerrancy of Scripture. They don't believe in the proper inspiration of Scripture. They say, well, yeah, there may be some mistakes there. There may be some things that are not quite accurate. You can't expect this to be scientifically or historically true, but, you know... There's, a lesson, there's lessons we can learn from it. No. If you're going to believe the Bible at all, you have to accept that this is history. This is what happened. There was an actual Adam. And he was without sin. And he did, and his wife did, rebel against God. And that is what has brought this world to be in the position that it is. If you're going to say that there is no historical Adam, you might as well say there's no Christianity. Of course, we have it here in Genesis chapter 1. We have it spoken about in, 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 uh, in Genesis chapter 5, which talks about the, which, which gives the genealogy of Genesis. We have Adam spoken of also in the genealogy in 1 Chronicles as, as, as the first man of the human race. 
we have Adam spoken of in Hosea chapter 6 and verse 7, um, where the fall is mentioned, Adam's fall into sin and, and uh, the rebellion of Israel is likened to that. Uh, it's of course, Adam is of course mentioned in Luke chapter 1, at the beginning of the genealogy of Luke. Uh, and as we read earlier in our service, uh, the Apostle Paul makes an extended comparison between the work of Adam, what Adam did, and what Christ did in Romans chapter 5. So if you're going to say that, that there is no Adam and there's no imputation of Adam's guilt to mankind, then you also have to say, well, there's no imputation of the righteousness of Christ to those who believe because it's the same argument that's used. You can't have one without the other. It's also, Paul also mentions Adam in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. He mentions Adam in 1 Timothy chapter 2 as the foundation for why women should not preach in the church. And Jude also speaks of Enoch the seventh from Adam. So if you're going to ditch the historical Adam, well, you've got to ditch Moses, the writer of the law. You've got to ditch the prophets. You've got to ditch Christ. And you've got to ditch the apostles. Well, you haven't got much left then, have you? No. Uh, this is not a myth. This is uh, history. And it is the foundation for biblical Christianity. Without this, there is no biblical Christianity. Now, the next thing to say is this, and it's very important to assert this and to establish this, that Adam and Eve were completely without sin before they fell into sin. Um, that's clear from when some of you were here when we were going through Genesis chapter 1, and you might remember how there was this refrain all the way through and God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. And then when he made Adam and Eve, God saw that it was very good. There was nothing wrong with Adam or Eve. They were without sin. They, had, they did not have sinful hearts, sinful tendencies. They loved God. They loved one another. And that's, you can see that uh, uh, there is this, this sort of holy innocence um, in, as from chapter 2 verse 25 the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed uh, and we see that also from the, when we do come to the story of the fall how clearly it's been the, the, the practice of God uh, to uh, to come and, 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 and take on a human form as, as he would walk through, through the, the, um, the garden and converse with Adam. There was no alienation between Adam and, and God. There, were, there was perfect relationship, perfect uh, friendship between God and man. And there was no... Uh, no uh, Different, no, no, nothing that came between uh, God and man. And Adam will have, at this point in time, perfectly loved Eve, his wife. 
No quarrels will have marred their relationship. Uh, they, were, they got on with each other absolutely perfectly. They loved each other and, and uh, without even needing to think so, they kept perfectly the moral law of God. God is not the origin of evil. And this is something which James brings out um, in, uh, in, in chapter 1 uh, of his letter, which uh, we were thinking about the other day in our midweek Bible study. Uh, James 1 verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire has brought conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. So, uh, it, the, the, the sin and corruption that we see in this world was not created by God. It has come from the wickedness and corruption, first of all, of the devil, and then of, uh, of, 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 of men. Now, it is, of course, true that God, in his wisdom, made a world where there was the potential for sin and the potential for evil. That's true. But he himself did not create evil. And he himself did not inspire Adam and Eve to sin. He knew that they would sin. And he ruled over uh, the result of their sin in order to bring good, as, as, as we were again thinking on Wednesday. But God is not the origin of evil. And God is not responsible in any way, shape, or form for the sin of Adam and Eve. Now, somebody might say, well, why did God even create a world where there could be sin? Well, the answer to that question is, we don't have an answer to that question. There are certain things that we don't, we don't have an answer to. God has not revealed in Scripture. And um, there's a very helpful verse which I find helpful for such things which many of you probably will be aware of Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 29 the secret things belong to the Lord our God but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law there are certain things that God has revealed and there are certain things that he's not revealed. He's not given us in Scripture a reason why he allowed there to be evil. If you know one from Scripture, let me know, because I've not seen one. We can surmise that God does all things well and for his own glory, and we can surmise that, that he allowed this evil so that he might show the greatness of his grace. But... Beyond that, we cannot say, I would say. But it is very, very important that we are clear that the, the corruption that there is in the world now is not due to God, not due to his actions. It's due to the sin and corruption of the devil and 
of men. Now, why do I say this? Well, because so many people, when they are challenged about, about their sin, will say, well, it's not my fault. God made me like this. How can I be blamed? Because I was made this way. Whether you're talking to somebody who is an alcoholic or whether you're talking to somebody who is a paedophile or somebody who, who um, is, is a practicing homosexual, many, not all, but many will say quite often, well, that's just the way I am. That's the way I was made. No. It's not the way you were made. Adam and Eve were made perfect and without sin. Adam, our father, yes, he rebelled against that and we have similarly rebelled. But the responsibility is with us and not with God. Now, the third thing I want us to see is how the fall came about through Adam and, and Eve listening to the lies of Satan. As we look at that uh, dialogue between Satan and the woman uh, that's recorded there in verses 1 to 3, well, 1 to 4 and 5, in fact, you see how the devil there is basically telling a whole load of different subtle lies and, 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 and making subtle insinuations against God. Um, the first one is he, he, he implies that God is some sort of mean God who would put Adam and Eve in this beautiful garden of Eden with all these lovely fruit trees and tell them not to touch a single tree, not to eat of any of these trees. Because he, he says, did God really say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So it's making out that God is some mean God who would, who would put all these lovely looking trees around them and then say you can't eat of any of them. It's just like, some, it's like playing tricks with him. Now when Eve corrected him and said we may eat of the trees of the, in, the field, in the garden but God said you shall not eat of the tree, fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. You shall not touch it lest you die. The devil then uh, says another lie. He says, you will not surely die. Well, that's just a plain lie. Uh, they were, they, they they, they were going to die. They would die spiritually, immediately, when they ate of that fruit. And they would die physically in due course as a result of eating that fruit. So he lied in that respect, and that's another thing the devil does. He, he tries to, to say to us that sin won't do you any harm. And then he also um, tried to make out that God was some sort of mean God who was trying to keep to himself his knowledge. Verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So he's trying to make out that God's laws are bad and harmful. And rather than sticking to God's word, Eve allowed herself to be deceived, and Adam, who was with her, did not intervene, and she ate, and then he ate. Now, of course, this is what is going on today, isn't it? People, the, the, the devil control, is controlling society. How does the devil control society? By and large, he doesn't do so by putting evil spirits in every person who lives. He hasn't got enough evil spirits to go around. By and large, the way that the devil controls society is by controlling the media, controlling how people think, controlling education systems, controlling religious ideologies. And he puts these lies out through these different means. Sometimes he will use professing Christians, false teachers in the church, to dissimulate lies so that people are deceived and people follow his path. You remember how in the New Testament Paul talks about how false teachers comes through come false teaching comes from hypocritical lies whose consciences have been seared, but also through the, 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 the doct- they teach the doctrines of demons. This is the truth. The point is that these demons, the evil spirits, place false ideas into the minds of those who profess to be Christian teachers in order to get people to follow the, uh, the lies of Satan and to, and to turn away from God. So it is really very, very important that we should know our Bibles and that we should believe our Bibles. Because otherwise, it is inevitable that by one way or another, we will be led astray into false thinking and false living. Now, the next thing I want to see is the immediate effect of sin on, on Adam and Eve. Notice in this chapter, a number of things immediately happened to Adam and Eve. First of all, they immediately felt a sense of shame. Uh, they, their eyes were open. They realized they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together. And they hid from God because they felt this sense of shame. There is also, very quickly an alienation that came in between Adam and Eve. Because when God said to Adam, uh, what is this you've done? Adam said to God, verse 12, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. He's blaming Eve for what has happened. So there is hostility. Where there had been love between him and his wife, there was now hostility 
between him and his wife. But also we see that there is now hostility between Adam and God. Because he says, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. And so we see here the devastating effect that sin had upon them. And we must be under no illusions. The devil will say to you, oh, just do this, it'll be fun. Just do this, it'll be nice. Do this, it'll be satisfying. It won't do any harm. But the reality is that sin is always ruinous. It's ruinous for our relationship with God and it is ruinous for our relationships with each other. But then this leads us to the next thing I want to think about, which is this. The effect of Adam's and Eve's sin on their descendants. Because God pronounces judgment on Adam and on the serpent and on the woman and on Adam. He pronounces a curse upon them. And it's clear from what God says that when he says you to the woman and you to Adam, he's not just talking about them as individuals. He's talking about them and their descendants. And what we have to realize is that Adam, in sinning, acted as the head of the human race. And what he did for himself, he did for us all. And what Eve did as well was for her descendants as well. And this is something which comes out in that passage which you read earlier in Romans chapter 5. That one action of Adam has affected the entire human race. It's difficult perhaps for us in our individualistic society to understand this, but perhaps the best illustration I can think of is if uh, the, 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 the prime minister of a country or the president of a country makes a decision, for example, to take that country to war, the whole of that nation is involved in that decision. That whole country is now at war. And that's what Adam did. He effectively declared war on God on on behalf of us all. And he put him and all of his descendants on a collision course with God. Now again, people, someone might object. Somebody might say, well, why should I suffer for Adam's sin? The only answer I can give is this, that God has made this world this way. He made this world in such a way as Adam was acting not just for himself, but for all of us. And also that we ourselves sin as well. We ourselves in Adam 
sinned, but we also sin in our own capacity as individuals. And we do the wrong things that we freely choose to do. And so there is this effect that Adam's sin has had upon the whole human race. And uh, let's think about, about the woman first of all, and then we think about, about, uh, about Adam. Uh, to Eve, God said to her, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. So here is the origin of, of, of pain in childbirth. If it had not been for, for uh, Eve's sin, then she and her children, her offspring, would have had uh, pain-free labor, but no more. Now there is pain in childbearing because of the fall. But also there is a distortion in the relationship between Adam and Eve. God says to her, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, some people have seen in this that the submission of women to men is something which came about as as a result of the fall. But that's not the teaching of Scripture. The teaching of Scripture is that the submission of women to men predates the fall. Paul is clear about that in 1 Timothy chapter 2, that Women should not teach in the church because Adam was formed first, then Eve. So the leadership of of men over women goes back to before the fall. And that comes out also in chapter 2 before because Adam named the animals, showing that he had authority over the animals, and then Adam named his wife, woman thereby showing that he had authority over her because, as the scripture says, the lesser is named by the greater. But what happens with the fall is that, the, that what had been a loving leadership where the husband loves his wife and cares for his wife and gives good leadership to his wife then becomes a conflict situation. She, her desire is contrary to her husband and he will rule over you. So there's this idea of her trying to grab the power from the, from, from the husband and him pushing her down in a harsh and un- unloving way. Now there's an interesting um, insight on that verse which some of you might be aware of. In the next chapter we see that... Uh, Uh, God uh, warns um, Cain about sin. And he warns him that, uh, that, uh, uh, that, that if he doesn't conquer sin, uh, he will, he will, um, sin will get the master of him. Verse 7 of of, of, of chapter 4 of Genesis, just over the page. If you do well, will you not be accepted, God says to Cain. 
But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Now that's exactly, apparently that's exactly the same expression as we got here in chapter 3. Sin wants to master Cain. It's contrary to, to, to Cain. He wants to grab hold of, of Cain, but Cain must domineer sin, must conquer, must rule sin. Well, as a result of the fall, Eve is going to want to grab the power from her husband, and he in turn will push her down. And so that loving relationship of, of loving care for the wife and, and, and loving submission by the wife gets distorted through the fall. And we see this, of course, everywhere in our society, don't we? With, with the war between the sexes, um, some, some women trying to grab power from, from, from their husbands in a wrong way, and some men domineering their wives in a horrible way. And this is all the result of the fall. Well, then uh, he talks to Adam. And he explains to Adam what's going to happen to him. He, he tells to him the, the curse that's going to come upon him. And, and what he's going to experience is that he's going to experience living in a world which has been messed up by sin. The work that he had been given to do, which was a pleasant work, caring for the garden and eating the fruit from the trees, now was going to be hard and difficult. Verse 17, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. And so uh, nature was going to be corrupted, and there was going to be... Um, difficulty as he went around his, his work. And this is something which Paul speaks about in, 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 in um, Romans 8, where he talks about how the fall has upset the whole natural order. He says in Romans 8 verse 19, which if you want to follow it's on page 1122, he says, The creation waits an eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Creation has been messed up as a result of Adam's fall, Adam's sin, and uh, he lives with the consequences of that. And not only so, but also God says to Adam, coming back to Genesis chapter 3, he says that he's going to die physically. He says, verse 19, Until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And also as a result of the fall, Adam and Eve were removed from the presence of God. They no longer had that fellowship with God. And that was, that's clear from verse 22. Uh, Behold, 
The man has become like us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him from the garden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man at the east of the garden and placed the cherubim in a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So now, no longer fellowship with God. Man is now spiritually dead. And all, unless there is an intervention by God, all, will, all Adam's descendants will be condemned. And that's clear from what Paul says there in Romans, chapter 5, the passage we read earlier. That on, on, uh, as a result of Adam's sin, the whole of humanity is condemned. The whole of humanity is alienated from God and, and, uh, and, 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 and uh, without any hope, without God's intervention. And so this was a terrible, terrible disaster which happened for all mankind. But we see also in this chapter God's kindness. We see it hinted at, and of course it comes out much later on in, in, in the Bible, much more fully later on in the Bible. We see that God showed great kindness to, to Adam and to Eve. First of all, in that he, it says there that God made clothing for them. Verse 21. The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Now, this is very remarkable because it's not just that God clothed their nakedness, gave them something better to cover them than just a few leaves. But also, where did those skins come from? There must have been some animals that were killed. And yet, God had said to Adam and Eve at this point in time that they were to eat of, 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 of vegetables. They only started to eat meat after, after Noah and, and the flood. And so, I think we can see from this that God made a sacrifice of these animals as a foretaste of something that was going to come later to cover not just their bodies, but also their sin. And we see also the gospel spoken of in verse 15, which I'm sure many of you will know. When God is speaking to the serpent, he says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall and you shall bruise his heel. Now, of course, that's talking about the general hostility that there is has been between men and serpents and snakes down through the ages. But many have seen this, and I think rightly so, 
a first glimpse of the gospel in the Bible. That the seed, the offspring being spoken of, the seed of the woman, is not just man in general, but Christ who would come. The devil would strike his heel, yes, but he would crush Satan's head. And the power of Satan would be destroyed. And the effects of Adam's sin would be undone. And the wonderful things God has now provided his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what he does is to undo the effects of the fall. The guilt is taken away. The relationship with God is restored. The slavery to sin is broken. He starts making those who believe in him holy with a view to one day them being perfectly holy in the presence of God. And because of what Christ has done, we know that at the resurrection, those who believe in Jesus will have for them all of the effects of the fall will be undone. They will be perfect at the resurrection. They will have new bodies. They will see God. They will live in a recreated world. And in fact, the position for us who believe at the resurrection is going to be better than what Adam lost. We will go back, we will have something better than Adam enjoyed before the fall because we shall be glorified. We shall see the Lord face to face and we shall, we shall have the blessing of knowing that we've been redeemed from our sins and we are with the Lord forever. Uh, there is that hymn, which we're going to sing in a moment. Um, Jesus shall reign wherever the sun. And, and one of the lines says, In him the tribes of Adam boast more blessings than their father lost. Well, what can we then take from this for ourselves? Well, first of all, I need to say to anybody here who's not yet saved, you need to be saved through Jesus Christ. You're a, a child, a daughter, a son of Adam. You're guilty, if only for the fact that you are a child of Adam. And you've committed many, many more sins yourself, each one of which makes you worthy of everlasting condemnation in hell. You must turn. God has provided a saviour for you in Christ, but you must come to him and you must trust in him. And for those of us who are saved, thank God for what he's done for us in Christ. Look forward to the glory that will be yours at the resurrection. And by God's grace, now work on sin. Do not listen to the devil. Do not listen to his lies. Hold on to God's word. 
Obey God in your life and look forward to the glory that will be yours. Seek to become more and more holy in this life. And don't be surprised if you suffer. Don't be surprised if you get ill. Don't be surprised if a loved one dies or, if, or when you come to die. Because that aspect of the fall is only going to be undone when Jesus comes again. In the meantime, we still live with the consequences of the fall. We are living in a fallen world. This fallen world is not going to be undone until Jesus comes again. In the world, he said, you will have tribulation. But I've overcome the world. So don't be surprised if you do suffer. This passage helps you to understand your world. Accept that situation, but look forward with joy and anticipation to the time when your body will be redeemed, when Jesus comes again. And in the meantime, be patient and live within your limitations. Yes, of course, if you're ill, you're bound to ask God to pray to, to make you better. Of course you do. And I did earlier on the service pray for people who are ill. Of course we do. And we pray that if it's God's will, he'll do so. But if, if it's not his will, we, we live patiently with living in this fallen world that we're in until the time that Christ comes again. Well, I hope that's helpful for you. Uh, may God overlook all of the weaknesses and, and, uh, uh, and um, frailties of my presentation and may, may there be some spiritual good that comes from what we've seen today.